0: So what if I were to tell you that sometime in the next seven days, you will have the opportunity to talk to, talk to someone about Jesus, and they've never heard anything about Jesus before. And the only thing I can tell you is that you don't know who it's going to be, or when it will happen, or where, where it will happen. And the other thing I can tell you is that this opportunity won't be super obvious So someone is not going to come up to you and say, hey, you're a Christian, can you please tell me about Jesus? But this will be an opportunity where you have to initiate the topic. I just have a question for you. Do you think you would recognize the opportunity? And if you did, would you move on it? This is a complicated time to be asking questions like that because we're kind of stuck between this this command from Jesus to go and share the good news, but also these cultural expectations and taboos where it's almost inappropriate to talk about religion with people. And there's this word that we use um, when it comes to talking about your faith. If you have a conversation with someone or if you're working with someone and your goal is to convert them to your faith, the word for that is proselytize. You're trying to proselytize them. In other words, you're trying to get them to change from their beliefs to your beliefs. And I just have a question for you. Just think about this not from your Christian perspective, if you're a Christian, but think about this just from our cultural perspective. Is it right to push your faith on others? Is it right to identify that someone else has a set of beliefs that's wrong, and it's your mission to bring them over to your set of beliefs? See, as we think culturally, I think we've grown more into a state where things are less spiritual, less religious, and as people are more grounded in a secular age of pluralism and dualism and secularism, it's becoming more and more difficult to bridge that gap. So what I hope to do with our message today is to acknowledge some of the barriers that might stand between you, wherever you're at in your faith, and sharing that faith with somebody else. Now, if, if you're not a Christian, maybe you're just here checking things out, maybe you're, you're watching online, you're just like trying to gather information, this would be really interesting for you because this is going to give you a behind-the-curtain look at what is driving Christians in this world to share their faith and talk about their faith. But more importantly than that, I want to show you what Jesus taught his very first disciples about sharing good news in the world. You see, our struggle today is that we're living in a more and more post-Christian world. It's not regular. It's not common anymore for for people just to have a church background. But as we struggle in a post-Christian world to figure out how to navigate things, the good news is that Jesus taught his disciples how to navigate in a pre-Christian world. And those two things are very similar. But I just want to bring out one more thing, one more thing about the, the, the challenge of living in a post-Christian world. So I know when I grew up, as I was growing up, in fact, I experienced this into college as I was doing, like knocking on doors for churches and doing surveys, it was assumed that someone would have a home church. In fact, the question is, if someone new moves to town, you got a new neighbor and you want to, you know, just get them to come to your church, <laughs> Basically, you would say, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. You find everything, got the grocery stores. Do you have a home church yet? Like that was one of the standard questions. Do you have a home church yet? And if they didn't, what would you do? Well, hey, Easter's coming up. You should, yeah, come, on, come over to my church. You're invited. Oh, hey, we've got a vacation Bible school. Your kids are going to have a blast. But what do you do with those neighbors who they reject your invitations? And you can tell by the way they live, they're rejecting more than just your invitation. Isn't there like a gap that appears? So, try this. You move to a new neighborhood, and the person, the, the family living next to you, is not Christian, but they are Muslim. Now, they, they never come out and tell you, Hi, we're, we're Muslim, but you can tell by the way they dress, the way they act, the way they talk, all that. You, you know they're Muslim. And so one day they come up to you and they say, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. We're so happy to have you here. Got everything figured out. Hey, we've, we've got a Muslim holiday coming up and we would love if you would come worship with us. What do you think? Would you go? Or what if they come up to you and say, hey, we've got this great program coming up this, this summer, um, a week-long camp for kids. We call it Vacation Muslim School. Um, we're going to teach you kids all about Allah's love for them. Would you like to send your kids? What if you keep declining their invitations and they realize you're not dressing like them, you're not living like them, and suddenly they start to judge you? They don't tell you that they're judging you, but you sense this gap growing between you because you're not living according to the cultures and behaviors of their religion. You see, as as America becomes more and more postmodern, what I just described to you is what most people will feel someday if you, if you start with, would you come worship with me for, for Easter or Christmas? Or, hey, we've got a vacation Bible school. We'd love to tell your kids about Jesus' love for them. Or maybe they will feel the gap when their life and their behavior doesn't match up with the, the direction we see from the Bible and you let the gap grow So how do we navigate a post-Christian world? Well, the thing is, we have to relearn how to talk about Jesus. For many people, I think, in our community, just speaking locally, I think for many in our community, it still works to say, hey, do you have a home church yet? Because many of the people in our community, at least at one time, had a church background. And so I don't think the days are completely gone where we, can, we have to get rid of that, but the more and more our, our nation becomes post-Christian, the more we have to think about different ways to reach them. And like I said, the good news is Jesus prepared his disciples for a pre-Christian world, and we would do well to learn how to navigate the post-Christian world. So let's just get one thing straight. Um, Let's go back to what we talked about last week. We had a wonderful guest preacher last week, Pastor Larry Schlomer. He came in and just got us on fire for all the things we're doing in the world to get the news of Jesus out there. And I was amazed at just all the things that, that he mentioned. And this was the text that he pointed us to. And I love how he brought, I'm just gonna bring out something he brought out. So this was after Jesus died and rose again. Later, Jesus appeared to the remaining 11 disciples as they were eating. And just know this, These 11 disciples had seen a lot of strange things throughout their three years with Jesus. But now, as he appears to the 11, stranger things have happened. So this is strange. Jesus is appearing to them, and he rebuked them for their lack of faith and for their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He's basically saying, you guys should believe more in me. And so what Pastor Schlomer brought up last week, Jesus should have just... Scrap the 11, let's start with a new dozen. Let's just have a clean start. Maybe these new people will believe. But instead, Jesus did this. He said to them, go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Now, there's a subtle thing to to notice here. I know from a worldly perspective, if you start talking about Jesus, people will think, oh, you're just talking about your personal beliefs. Whatever you believe, you just want them to believe what you believe because it's some self-centered, self-focused thing, and you feel better about your beliefs if more people believe what you believe. And it's, it's this, this person-centric idea of sharing your beliefs. But what did Jesus ask the eleven to do? He just rebukes them for not believing. He didn't go say, okay, now go into all creation and share your beliefs with the world. No, forget your Forget your beliefs. We'll figure that out. We'll strengthen that. We'll, you know, and they did change. But he said, your job is not to share your beliefs. Your job is to share the good news to all creation. Now, if you're meeting with your growth group this week, or if you want to have the conversation at home, you can talk about the subtle difference between that. You are not called to share your beliefs. The disciples were called to share the gospel. And those two usually line up. But there's a subtle difference, and you can talk about that distinction this week if you'd like. But here's number one. Those who follow Jesus are commissioned to share the good news of Jesus. You have an announcement to share, some good news to share. And it's not about your beliefs, although I hope that the gospel and your release line up. But there's a subtle difference when, when God puts the emphasis on the news, the message of the gospel. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not up to you. And, and as you share your faith or share what you believe with people, you can acknowledge, you know what? Jesus' 11 disciples, they, they were sent out with this message and they didn't have it all figured out. I still got some things I'm figuring out, but what I do know is that I have some good news that I want to share. Some good news that has changed my life and I think it can change yours too. It's, it's a focus on the message. It's not a focus on the person. So here's what we know. We know that the 11 faced a very pre-Christian world that would be hostile to them in many, many ways. And yet, Jesus did not make this an option. He made it a commission. Go, you are sent to share the good news of what I have done. And the same is true for us today. I know it's difficult, and I know navigating in a post culture world is like reorganizing your entire thoughts about how do we even bring this up? How do we even do this? But talking about Jesus for followers of Jesus, it's not an option, it's a commission. So the next question has to be well, what, what, what keeps us from making the most of this, of, of every opportunity? And as you think about this new week coming up, what might cause you to miss the opportunity? Or. To take your hands up and say, not my problem. No, just, I want to make sure that we're relating with each other. Because, here's the thing. Um, When I'm meeting new people, let's say it's on an airplane, or it's a new neighbor, or just someone I haven't met before, usually one of the things we Americans ask is, what do you do? Now, I've seen a number of reactions when I say, I'm a pastor. Some are like, oh, awesome, where at? You know, and so I, all right, you're a Christian, I got it. But then some people, I say, I'm a pastor, and they're like, oh, and there's this awkward moment where it's like, they're eyeing me up, and I'm eyeing them up, and it's, we're trying to figure each other out for a minute. So just, just know this, I have spent considerable brain power trying to think, how do I tell people I'm a pastor without telling them I'm a pastor? Like, I, I, re- I work in the community to give people hope and encouragement and to build them up for works of certain, like, I've been working through this narrative in my mind because I'm just aware of the awkwardness. So if if you have some hesitation, like, what's keeping you from the opportunity? I don't come to you preaching at you. I'm here having a conversation with you. What keeps us from making the most of every opportunity? Now, what's interesting is that the Barna Research Group did a poll, a survey, and they asked Christians this very question, and they got, like, 15 different answers that they arranged on a graph. The cool thing is, as I looked at those 15 answers, I don't have to give you 15 answers. They all fit into three categories. First one, the first thing that keeps us from sharing faith or seeing the opportunity, is, we are afraid. Fear. What if I am met with hostility? Fear. What if I don't know what to say? Fear. What if I put my faith out there and they just destroy it and I, I, I don't want to destroy my faith? Fear. And as I looked through the the results on the survey, it was about 50% of the answers had something to do with fear. So if you had an opportunity this week to initiate a conversation about Jesus, is fear keeping you away? And if so, what's at the heart of it? Is it a fear about yourself? You feel underqualified? Is it a fear about them? That they might be hostile, it might be inappropriate, maybe you shouldn't talk about this at work? What fear might be at play that's keeping you from the commission to tell the good news? Uh, Another thing I saw from the survey is apathy. Like, I don't care. Um, Maybe it's a personal apathy because your faith isn't that strong to begin with. And so you're like, oh, I believe what I believe. They believe what they believe. If God really wants them to believe, He'll send someone, He'll figure it out. And so there's this apathy where you just kind of take your hands off the steering wheel. So that accounted for maybe 30 to 40% of the survey. There's some margin of error, by the way. So, and then there's one other category, and this is just a very slim sliver of the pie. But the only other thing that could keep you from sharing your faith with someone is just hate. They don't believe in God, and you want them to get what's coming. Like they did something to you, or they said something, or the way they're living their life, you're just like, oh man, I can't wait to see what God does with them for eternity. And there's this this unreasonable hate within you. Again, very small sliver of the pie, but I love how um, Teller Gillette put it. Um, he's the talkative half of Pen and Teller. Um, he, he he shared an account of how um, a Christian came up to him after a show and gave him a Bible. And um, Teller is a huge atheist. And the Christian knew this, but the Christian handed him a Bible and Teller would um, tell of the, this interaction and say he had utmost respect for this Christian who gave him a Bible. He basically said, if you believe there's a heaven and hell, and if you think I'm going to hell and you don't do anything about it, you must hate me. Like that, that was his conclusion as an atheist. If you don't say something or do something, you must hate me. So those are the three things that might keep a person from sharing their faith or from missing the opportunity to do so? It might be fear, it might be apathy, maybe a slim sliver of, of hatred. Um, what is it for you? And I'm going to give you some time to think about it, because as, as we go forward here, we're going to dive into the account of Mark chapter 1. So I love how we started this series in Mark 16, at the very end of Mark's account of Jesus' life. And now we're going to go back to the very beginning of Mark, in Mark chapter 1. What Jesus said at the end of Mark, he told his disciples to go and make disciples. Guess what he said at the very beginning, the first thing that Mark records? Come, make disciples. Come, follow me. And then at the end, he says, now, go. So in in Mark chapter 1, we see Jesus set the stage for his ministry, for his work, and his church. And let's see what we can pull out of this to address our fear, our apathy, or perhaps even a slim sliver of hate that might be in our hearts. So after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And there's so much here. I got in trouble last night on Saturday service because I went way too long. But long story short, this is something that most rabbis would not be known for. Like if you're going out as a Jewish rabbi, you know, instructing people on the ways of God, usually what they would do is they would talk about how to expound on the commands or regulations that God had written. So Sabbath day, rest for a day. What does it mean to rest? And each rabbi would kind of have their own ideas about how to live your life in a way that shows rest. So basically the common idea was most religious leaders would just give rules to people. They would come with good rules, or bad rules, depending on how you're looking at it. But the one word that describes what Jesus talked about, one word in Greek, two words in English, he brought good news. He stopped focusing so much on how people had to live their lives, and instead he talked about this, this concept of grace, and, and a sacrifice from God, not from us, and, and mercy from God. And so after John was put in prison, John was kind of the forerunner. He was telling people about Jesus. Then Jesus steps out. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Your time is up. And this comes after centuries of the Jewish people waiting and watching. Someday there's going to be a savior, the ancestor of King David. And Jesus comes to them and says, stop waiting. There was a time for waiting and wondering, and during that time, many people became apathetic. Many people wondered, is God still going to keep his promise for us? Many people wondered, and they kind of, it doesn't matter what we do, but Jesus snapped them out of it. He says, time's up. God is here, and here's what you need to do. And again, most rabbis would say, okay, God is here, so here's how you keep his commandments. Or God is here, here's what you need to sacrifice. But instead, Jesus points inward. He says, Time is, time's up, God's here, repent. Or if you, want, if you want to impress your friends this week, say, hey, the, the word for repent in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, in the Greek, it's pronounced metanoio, metanoio. So now you can impress your friends this week. Metanoio, this literally means change of mind. Don't change your your behavior. We'll get there. Change your mind. Now, what is it about the mind? Well, the mind is set on what you believe. And each of us, because we live in a fallen, sinful world, we all kind of just land on our own little things that we believe that might not be so true. Like, I won't be okay unless I have this person's approval. Or I'm not okay unless I'm perfect and I get it just right. We all have our things that we settle on and and we get so mixed up, so jumbled up, and so Jesus doesn't say, okay, let me see how good you can behave. He's going to know if you're naughty or nice. He says, let's start in your mind. Would you have a change of mind? And in a religious context, it's correctly translated as repent. A change of mind. Don't just try to clean up your behavior, but would you address... The thing that's causing it. Why do you lash out in anger? Why are you so greedy? Don't just curb your greed. Don't just go to a solitary place when you're angry, but would you understand where it comes from? Would you repent? And then, when you acknowledge the brokenness within you, would you then receive what God gives in exchange? Would you then believe the good news? Believe the good news. Well, what is the good news? The good news is that your relationship with God is it's not about the the outward behavior. The outward behavior is just a symptom of the inner problem. The good news is that God addresses the inner problem in a way that has visible results on the outside. So change your mind. Acknowledge the the lies that you've been living in, and would you replace them with the good news? That God loves you. He forgives you. And the sacrifice that makes you right with him is a sacrifice he provides. So number two, God's good news calls for urgency. It pulls people out of their apathy. It, it, It pulls them away from just worry about this later or let's just address the symptoms. But God's good news calls for urgency to get to the heart of the matter. Repent. Change your mind and believe, receive the good news. So what, what, what have we seen so far? Well, when it comes to sharing the good news and why Jesus was so passionate about gathering disciples to go and share this good news with all the world, the reason he did that is because there is a sense of urgency for each and every soul in this world. The time in which we get to experience this repentance and this good news is limited. So Jesus says, go go, go. It's not about sharing your faith, your belief. It's about sharing the good news upon which your faith is grounded. So as Jesus then gets into his ministry, and Mark kind of skips some things. If you read through the, the, the account that John records, he fills in a lot more details. So up to this point, Jesus has already had interactions with Simon, also known as Peter, He's had interactions with some other disciples. They've already seen a couple of really cool miracles and heard about them. And Jesus' reputation is spreading. And according to John, Jesus has already talked to Simon and told him, Hey, Simon, your name is now going to be Peter. And Peter's like, okay, so you're renaming me? That's kind of creepy, but cool. And so anyway, Simon and Andrew and the others, they already kind of know him. But then Jesus puts them on the spot one day with this question. So Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon, also known as Peter. Good, you're following along. Simon and his brother Andrew. What we know about Andrew is that he used to be a follower of John the Baptist. Now that John the Baptist is in prison, he came over to follow Jesus. Simon and his brother Andrew, they were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. Now, this puzzled me because there's no detail that's unnecessary on the screen in the Bible. Why mention they were casting a net? Why not just say they were fishermen? Because a fisherman could be someone who just puts a pole into the lake and does this, but these were the kind of fishermen who had a net. And the way that it's, I know, <laughs> whoo, but the way that the Greek acknowledges it, it's this circular net with weights on it that was really big and really heavy. And to have a net like that, you needed equipment to maintain the net. You needed a boat, to put the net on and to throw the net from. You needed equipment to process the large number of fish you would catch with this net. You would need a transportation system to get the fish from the lake to the market. You would need an account manager to figure out all the transactions. You would need a social media manager Talk about your fit. This was an operation. It wasn't just some fishermen, you know, sitting at the edge of the pier. But they, th- this was their job. This was their occupation. They were casting this net because they were fishermen. They had this whole thing figured out. And then Jesus says, "This. This is so crazy. Come, follow me. Just two words in the Greek. Come, come behind me, and I will make you. I, I will send you out to fish for people." And literally it says, I will, I, will, I will make it so that you are a fisherman of humans, which is like, okay, that's a little creepy, a little weird, but they knew there was something behind this. Jesus acknowledged their gifts, their abilities. He acknowledged their sphere of influence, but he said, I want to use that for something else. You've got a great operation. You could teach people all sorts of things about business but I'm going to use where you're at for a different purpose. And then he goes, he goes on. So what, what happened? Well, at once, <laughs> they left their nets and followed them. Um, other accounts say that they pulled their boats up on the shore, they you know, put their nets down, and they started walking. And when you look at some other disciples, for example, Levi. Levi was a tax collector. What made Levi so qualified to be a disciple of Jesus? Um, You look at another guy, another Simon, the zealot. He was a political person. He was super political. Like, you all know those political people? Um, Jesus had a disciple like that. What you start to see through the people Jesus called, they, they weren't trained to be theologians. There were people that were trained, and Jesus could have picked them, but he picked fishermen. He picked tax collectors. He picked political advisors. Because they each had a unique sphere of influence. And can I just say the same is true of you? You might feel totally underqualified to talk about the Bible, talk about God, talk about Jesus, but the good thing is you don't have to share something from yourself. You're commissioned to talk about the good news from God. And what God can use about me, about you the most, is the sphere of influence that we have. So God has given you a unique sphere of influence in this world, a unique set set group of people that you connect with on a regular basis, people that you have access to. And and there's the the big side of this. You know, maybe you're a leader at a company, an owner of something, and you've got a lot of people that you influence. And I know on the other end of things, maybe you're a stay-at-home parent, and I know your sphere of influence is like one or two people, (laughs) but that's important too. God has given you a unique sphere of influence. He simply calls you To share his good news with them. So one day, Simon Peter recognized he had a unique sphere of influence. It was on this certain night that Jesus had been arrested. And now Peter is kind of off at a distance, he's in the courtyard just next to where Jesus is being questioned. He can kind of see how things are going on, and he's just watching from a distance. He's not sure how this will end, and he's kind of afraid. And someone comes up to him. A perfect opportunity. They come up to Peter, and they say, aren't you a follower of Jesus? Aren't you one of his disciples? Basically, an open invitation to share the good news. And what did Simon Peter answer? I don't know what you're talking about. Have you ever done that? Someone like basically gives you an open door. Let's talk about faith. Let's talk about religion. You're like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> Not sure. But he had another chance. Another person came up to him while he was in the courtyard and he was kind of warming himself. Just a normal person. Someone else comes up to him and he's like, yeah, your accent. Like, wow, where did I hear that before? A Galilean. Um, so you must be with Jesus. But he said, I, I, don't, I don't know Jesus. What are you talking about? a servant girl pro- probably a teenager comes up to him "Misto are you a follower maybe that's a little too young are you a follower of Jesus?" a third time i, I don't who what, what what and he actually calls down curses on himself he said "may god punish me if i'm telling the, the, a lie i don't know jesus" three times And after that, the Bible records how Peter just was broken, destroyed. He's like, well, I guess I better go back to fishing. The kind of messenger that Jesus deserves is not me. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe you're feeling that way. And maybe when you heard the topic of today's message, you said, all right, this is a great message for other people, but I've already lost my opportunity But three days later, things changed. I'm sure Peter felt some responsibility that maybe Jesus' death was partly his fault. And he was right. Because the sin of Peter, the same as the sin of me, the sin of you, the, the, the sins of being so self-focused where we're just afraid for ourselves and we're, we're so self-focused, we can't even see the power of the message that God has entrusted to us. That sinfulness, that self-focused nature, God was so angry at that, and God punished that when Jesus died for you and for me. And here's the cool thing. After Jesus rose from the dead, he came up to Peter. And peter I'm sure Peter is all red. Like, I'd be red. I'm sure Peter was all red, and Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And for you task-oriented people, I'm sure that if you were Jesus, your first question would be, Peter, we got some work to do. You ready? Should 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 we give this another shot? I'll give you a second chance. But instead, Jesus says, no, it's not about the work. It's about you. Do you love me? Three times Jesus asked him, do you love me? And Peter three times said, yes, you know I do. And then Jesus said, okay, now let's go. Feed my lambs. Let's go share some good news. So what Peter learned is what I need to hear and what you need to hear. It's that even when we as messengers mess it up, we miss opportunities, we, we punt them away, we dream up ways to avoid the conversation, the, the thing is the news is still good and the messenger is still you. The news is still good and the messenger is still you. One of the, one of the, the cool things, when, when, when God commissions you to be sent with this good news, the first thing he must do is apply that good news to you. And so he sends you, not as something to use or someone to use, he sends you as someone whom he loves. The news is still good and the messenger is still you. So I have two applications for you. Number one. Would you address your holdups? If you can look back at the last month, the last year, and you can say, oh yeah, I've had some opportunities that I did not make use of, rather than just ignoring them, don't feel guilty about it. Jesus has forgiven it. God loves you. The, the news is still good. But would you address your holdups? Is it fear about yourself? Is it fear about what the other person might do? Could you instead realign that so that your focus is on the message, the good news that you get to share hey, I've got some good news that changed me. I think it can change you too. I'm still figuring it out. Would you figure it out with me? Address the holdup. Is it, is it anger? Is it apathy? Is, is there a, a little sliver of hatred? Would you just address that and, and ask God to help you understand it and overcome it? And then would you specifically ask God to send you? God, send me. Because the nature of his kingdom is that as he sends people with the news, he must first apply that good news to them. So I hope in this message, it got you excited about this opportunity that we have today to speak to a post-Christian world. And I know that there's things to figure out. In fact, in the remainder, uh, remaining three parts of this series, we're gonna talk about three simple things you can do to spread this good news to the people around you. And next week, I hope you can come back Because we want to show you how the simple act of loving people can often be the first step to sharing with them the best news they could ever hear. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for the the gifts that you give to us and the spheres of influence that we have in this world. It can be so intimidating for some of us anyway to think about the idea of actually talking to other people about religion or about the Bible. There can be a lot of fear and sometimes there can be apathy. There's there's things that we need to figure out. But would you help the members of this church and the people listening to this message, would you help us figure out what's really at the heart of those holdups? And would you give us the courage this week to actually pray this and mean it? To say, send me. Send me. Not because I've got it figured out or because I'm perfect, but send me because I know what it means to be a sinner who is fully and freely forgiven by Jesus. Send me as one who can point to him. Help us to see how our unique spheres of influence are a unique opportunity for each of us. Simply be messengers of that good news to this world. Bless and keep us all in Jesus' name. Amen.